Revelation, the third chapter. I'm going to begin with the 14th verse as we have been going through this chapter again. Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. The word of the living God. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich, and increased with goods, and have need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. We had the opportunity, Alice and I had the opportunity to visit Laodicea few months ago, what's left of it, and uh, I'll hopefully be mentioning that, some things that we saw during the uh, sermon that relate exactly to what Jesus talks about here. You can still see some of the references that he was making in modern day Laodicea. So we're coming to the last of the seven churches, this is the last letter that Jesus uh, wrote to the churches. Uh, it is also the most corrupt church of all that we've looked at. Uh, if you remember the church at Philadelphia that we just looked at, was he had nothing bad to say about them, even though they had some sins, of course, and drawbacks, but he was very gracious to them. Uh, but this is uh, in this letter, he has no praise. It's the mirror opposite. He has no praise for this church. Uh, and there were churches that were really bad, and uh, as we've looked at, but he had some praise for them, but he doesn't have any praise for these folks. Uh, now, let's talk about something we've mentioned before, but people get way off base at the beginning, and they come some conclusions about what these seven letters mean, and they just kind of get off track with it. Maybe you've heard it said that these seven letters represent seven historical periods uh, in church history. Uh, The Ephesian church is supposed to represent the church in the first century. Uh, Smyrna represents the persecuted church of the second and third centuries. Philadelphia represents the apostolic church, and so on. Uh, It's basically, that's an invention. There's no biblical basis to say that. Uh, that's it's a uh, very clever, uh, but it's it's a uh, it's really an inter, interposition into the text. These 
lessons are for us. I mean, it says in, in the first chapter of, of Revelation, Jesus said to John, send these to the churches, and then the churches, uh, of course, uh, comes through to us. So it's for all believers. And so we can see ourselves and our own churches in each, in each of the characteristics of these seven churches. Now, the church at Laodicea was a sister church of the one in Colossae. And you might remember me saying when we visited Colossae, uh, which we didn't expect to visit since it's not one of, uh, one of the seven churches, but uh, we did visit it because it was pretty close. Uh, really, it's totally unexcavated. Uh, it's just a big hill, uh, basically. Um, the, uh, that's not true of Laodicea. Now, the Apostle Paul was very instrumental in planting the gospel uh, in, in, uh, in both places. Uh, the letter addressed by Paul to the Colossians was also intended for the church at Laodicea. We know that because in Colossians 2.1, Paul writes, For I would that ye knew what great conflict I have for you and for them at Laodicea. And then also in Colossians 4.16, And when this epistle is read among you, cause that it be read also in the church of the Laodiceans, and that ye likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. Now we don't have the epistle from Laodicea anymore. Uh, the Lord uh, didn't feel it was necessary for us to have that. Um, these churches were sister churches. They're something like 20 miles apart, not, not very far apart. Uh, Sir William Ramsey, the uh, Christian, uh, great Christian archaeologist uh, of the 19th century, wrote about uh, Laodicea, quote, there is a want of, about Laodicea and, uh, and both of these. Uh, there's a want of definiteness and individuality about them, or a lack of definiteness and individuality. They do not set before us the picture of a city recognizable in itself and distinguishable from other cities. Of the seven cities, Laodicea is the one which is least determined in character, the one of which the outline is least clearly and sharply defined in history. The one respect in which it stands forth preeminent is, is that it is the adaptable city, able to suit itself to the needs of others because it has no strongly pronounced character of its own. In other words, a liberal church. A, in a cultural diversity, compromise, a city of toleration. We accept, you know, whatever. Whatever you want to be, we'll accept you. There are churches like that, or so-called churches, so-called. Now, Laodicea City is located in the Lycus River Valley of Western Asia Minor, Turkey today, Western Turkey, uh, and it was a primary trade route between the cultures of the West and the cultures of the East. So Laodicea was known as a primary hub for the Roman aqueduct system. Uh, it, it was the end point for several Roman aqueducts, so it was a boom town. Uh, and that's what I meant by you can see some of the things and as Christ talks about uh, you can still see uh, the aqueducts now, aqueducts for uh, some of you may not know that word for some of the younger folks uh, that's a, a water pipe system and they, they, they had these water pipes and they put them up on uh, and the Romans did to go long distances they put them up on like a trestle like a big bridge and they had the pipes up there and gravity would take them down and then in the town of Colossae, you can still see the pipes coming down through, and they're all encrusted with limestone and all, but they're very visible. We've got lots of pictures of those, and uh, if you're interested, I'll send you some. Uh, 
It was a boom town. It was in the middle of some of the most prosperous areas of Western Asia Minor. It was the center of textile and wool trade. Um, it had a valuable sort of wood. It was a soft wood and glossy black, naturally glossy black. So it was a beautiful wood, and it was uh, widely prized. Um, we know this only from ancient writings, that wood is not in existence anymore. Um, probably, therefore, attained by some sort of cross-breeding uh, and uh, uh, hybridization. Uh, and they made a lot of garments. It was a flourishing banking center. It was a great commercial center, a financial center. Uh, Jews were an important element in the population. Um, there was an ancient census taken. 7,500 adult Jewish freemen were counted in the district, plus there'd be women and children. So there were a lot of, it was a, a large center of the Jewish population. Um, they even had a medical school that developed ear and eye medicine. And it was famous for their eye salve. Uh, it was exported, used widely in the whole civilized world. So it was a very wealthy and prosperous town. And I always find it amusing to when Christ said, uh, uh, you think you can see, but you're blind. I mean, that, that, they got it. They got it in Laodicea, a little dig. That you guys think you can see. You're the experts in seeing and in, in uh, um, eye medicine. Well, you're blind. Uh, now, I've got to tell you something in my research. This is totally weird. Totally, totally weird. Laodicea, there was a famous temple. The temple of a god. <laughs> and the god's name was, uh, it's, it's translated in two words, M-E-N, and the last word is K-A-R-O-U. Menkaru. <laughs> so that... Let's go, kids. <laughs> So that kind of struck me. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. I couldn't find much in information, except I found a couple of references in, in some books about that. But I even went on the internet to find out what I could find out about this god, and I can't find out. But a very mysterious god. So, uh, the spelling that I saw was first word M-E-N, second word K-A-R-O-U, and Karu. So uh, if you want to do some research and tell me who that was, I, can't, I say I can't find it on the internet. Uh, very mysterious God. So I could ask some of my relatives. <laughs> uh, and Laodicea was a center of the imperial religion, the worship of the emperor, uh, and of Zeus. Now, Christ says, verse 14, the introduction to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, right? These things, these things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Notice how he identifies himself differently in each letter. If we go back to other letters, uh, in, for example, the church in Sardis, at the beginning of chapter 3, he identifies himself as he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Uh, in the, in the church of Philadelphia, in verse 7 of chapter 3, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth and no man openeth. 
uh, and so on. Uh, and you can go back and look at all of the, uh, the openings to the letters, and then he identifies himself differently in each one. And we have looked at the meanings, uh, tried to determine as much as we could the meanings and the, and the implications of, of each of those titles that he gives himself, uh, that he calls himself. Uh, here he says he's the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Now, amen, we know what Amen means. We say it when we pray, Amen. That means so be it, or truly. It's an affirmation, saying yes, yes. Christ says it. It is true. He is the Amen. He's the faithful one. He's the unchangeable one. He's the faithful and true witness whose testimony of God to men ought to be received and fully believed, and whose testimony will be fully believed and regarded, and and it will be a swift and true witness against all those who reject it, and to those who are lukewarm in their faith, which is the focus of this. He is the beginning of the creation of God. And he he reminds them he's the one who began creation. Look at... uh, uh, John 1, or you may know this, I'll just read it to you. I'm sure you do know this, and so you may, I'm sure you do. But just to remind you, in John 1, verse 3, all things, regarding this is the Word of God, which is Christ, Christ is the Word, all things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. So He is the beginning of the creation of God. He's the one who began creation. Is the uh, uh, the Geneva Bible says it is Christ, quote, from whom all creatures have their beginning. Through Christ. Now Laodicea has a distinction among all the seven churches, but it's not one that we'd want to have. Uh, of all the seven churches, as I said, it, it's the only one of which Jesus has nothing positive to say because they have cooled off against Christ. They have cooled off. They've cooled off toward Christ. They've taken their eyes off of Him and set them on what? Worldly riches. The almighty dollar. And He uses imagery that would have hit them right over the head. Now I said because uh, the eye salve was one of them that would have gotten that. Well, He also says in verse 15, I know thy works that thou art neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot. Because you're lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spit you out of my mouth. See? Now, you have to understand, and this came home to us when we visited it, uh, the Laodiceans knew the therapeutic value of hot water spas, but they didn't have hot water spas. Heropolis had hot water spas, and Heropolis was about, I don't know, 20 miles or so down the road, not very far. So fantastic uh, uh, restored ruins. It's, I mean, it's just a, a, a fascinating place. But the Laodiceans uh, knew the therapeutic value of hot water spas because their, uh, the city of Heropolis, their neighbor, was sitting on, sits on thermal spas, ther- not thermal spas, thermal waters, thermal springs. And in fact, you can see it for miles uh, it's it's uh, it looks like cotton, and that's what they call it in Turkish, uh, the, the, the cotton hills. But you get up, they're white, but you get up, and it's it's uh, uh, calcified minerals. 
but they're beautiful. And they're all you get up there in the pools, and they're all different colors. And people were going in, and uh, it's it's uh, steaming and all, but it's you can still you know not not so much you can't get in it. So it's a beautiful thing still today, still today. They're still flowing. So a lot of the seans had were hot, you know, if you will. Uh, at least their their water was. Uh, in fact, there's a there's a, a uh, hot springs pool uh, that Mark Anthony gave to Cleopatra as a wedding present, uh, and that's still there. You can still go and see what we did. Um, so he says, "I know you're neither cold nor hot." So Heropolis had a thriving industry around its hot water baths. Their other neighbor, Colossae, was known for the opposite. They had fresh cold mountain spring water. But the Laodiceans didn't have hot water. They didn't have cold water. Remember, they didn't, they didn't have hot water tanks and electricity that they could make hot water today. And they didn't have refrigeration where they could make cold water. They had to get whatever the temperature was that came out of the ground. So the aqueducts, they would bring hot water from Heropolis 20 miles away. And they bring cold water from Colossae 20 miles away. But over 20 miles, what do you think happened? The hot water cooled off and the cold water got warmer. So all they had was lukewarm water. And according to historians, it was pretty much tasteless and, and it had no special uses other than just lukewarm water. So Jesus says they're neither cold nor hot, but lukewarm and therefore no use to him. He'll spit it out of his mouth. That was a stinging criticism that they understood. They knew about hot and cold, and they were embarrassed about it for their town uh, compared to Laodicea or Colossae, compared to Heropolis or Colossae. Of course, Jesus is not just talking about water here. He wants his followers to be fully committed to him. For it's only then that we are of service to him. If what Christ says is true, which it is, then the most important thing, it's the most important thing in the world. And if we believe Christ, our lives will show it. If Christ is worth anything of ours, he's worth everything. And that's really the lesson here. That's what I want to talk, uh, get home today. If he's worth anything of ours, he's worth everything. If serving Christ is worth anything, it's worth everything. And indifference here is inexcusable. 1 Kings 18, how long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him, but if Baal, follow him. So that's, that's Elijah said that. There's no room for neutrality, in other words. Christ expects that men should declare themselves either for him or against him. Laodicea has not rejected his name. They haven't disowned Christ or his cross. They haven't departed from the faith. But they're neither cold nor hot. She's liberal, practices toleration, accommodation, compromise. You know, can't we all just get along? Oh, doctrine is is so divisive, let's just forget all about it and just get along. Yes, we can go too far the other way and, you know, be nitpickers and, and not want to associate with people who you know, might have a little different view of some point of doctrine. That's going too far the other way. But to say, well, let's not talk about doctrine, let's not think about doctrine, let's just get along, Christ is condemning that as well. 
when we do it, that we will sacrifice any principles, any beliefs for the sake of peace. Now, if she were cold, Christ would have put her under special discipline. If she were hot or fervent in spirit, he would commend her and make her to become more and more fervent. But she's in the worst state of all, lukewarmness, useless, and therefore he spits her out of her mouth, rejected as utterly loathsome. And that's a very uh, uh, direct way of putting it. I will spit you out of my mouth, you know. Uh, We don't think of Jesus talking about spitting people out of his mouth, but that's what he's saying. Now, they might call... The people in in this church in Laodicea might not call themselves lukewarm. They might call it love or meekness, moderation, tolerance, acceptance. But whatever name they put on it, Christ says, it's nauseating to me, what you're doing. Nauseating to me. I want to spit it out of my mouth. So there's a, uh, the lesson is, when we deny biblical truth in the name of acceptance and toleration, and I mean extremely so, again, not nitpicking, but ordaining sodomites as, as pastors and elders and, and theological liberals to church office, our Lord is sickened by it. And he condemns it in the strongest most graphic terms. I'll spit you out of my mouth. You know, reminded me of Isaiah 5.20, Woe to them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. See, what he's saying is a half-hearted Christian is no Christian at all. He who is not with me is against me. Didn't Christ say that in Matthew 12? He who is not with me is against me. Jesus expects his church to change the world, not to be changed by it. To radically transform the culture, not to allow the culture to transform it. Apparently, Laodicean church had sold out to the culture in in some ways. Been blinded by the wealth and affluence of the city, probably. Sir William Ramsey, again, says... Quote, there is no city whose spirit and nature are more difficult to describe than Laodicea. There are no extremes, hardly any very strongly marked features. But in this even balance lies its peculiar character. These were the qualities that contributed to make it essentially the successful trading city, the city of bankers and finance, which could adapt itself to the needs and wishes of others, ever pliable and accommodating, full of the spirit of compromise, neither cold nor hot, but lukewarm and of no use to the kingdom of God. Now, by the time of the Middle Ages, the city of Laodicea was long gone. Uh, Today, you'll see remains of the Roman aqueduct, as I said. Um, And Actually, when I first preached on this, believe it or not, it was five and a half years ago, uh, I said it was an unexcavated pile of stones because that's what I had read. But what I... Didn't realize I was probably reading an old commentary. <laughs> and since then, they've done quite a bit of excavation. Um, but it's not, it's not a major tourist attraction. It's difficult to find, and, uh, uh, but it's, uh, it's quite interesting to see. Let me just conclude here. We're not going to go through the rest of the letter. Lord willing, we'll do that next week or next, next time. Uh, the question that 
I hope you come away with after studying this, and I'd like you to go home and read this letter again and look at the scripture that uh, was on the, is on your handout. The question that I want you to come away with, or one of them is, is Jesus Lord of all of my life? Or is he just Lord of those things that I surrender to him? Is he Lord of all of your life or just those things that you'd surrender to him? See, the answer of that gives us, gives us a glimpse into our spiritual state. Think about one some of the things in, that, 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 that you haven't even thought about surrendering to God. And is he Lord of all or just those things that you think about surrendering? See, lukewarmness or um, sitting on the fence or middle-of-the-roadness, however you want to put it, you surrender neither to God or to the world. You know, you're a Sunday morning Christian and then you do whatever you want to do the rest of the time. Is a is a almost a self-perpetuating situation. Uh, I've quoted this to you before, but I just always stick some has always stuck in my mind. Uh, Joe Moorcraft, uh, uh, Pastor Joe Moorcraft, uh, said once in a sermon that I was for, uh, was was able to uh, to be at. He said, "If you only pray, if you only read your Bible, if you only go to church when you feel like it, you'll feel like it less and less." And it's a it's a fence-sitting, self-perpetuating state. You have one foot planted in the world, one foot planted in heaven, uh, and the things of the world crowd out even your awareness of that. Uh, you know, and when you, when you preach about it, and I hope you're not thinking this, but the common reaction is, oh, that's a good sermon. That's a really good sermon. I know people who need to hear that. <laughs> You're not talking about me. Because I, I can point to some areas of my life that are real spiritual, that, that the Lord is in control of. So you're not really talking about me, you're, but I know some people who are talking about me. Well, it's, to the world they look worldly, and to the elect, they look godly. You probably know people like that. Not too religious. No. No. Uh, and I, I'm reminded of um, the opposite, I guess you'd say, if I think about it. I just thought of it now. Um, Blaise Pascal, in his book, uh, Pensees, is that how you pronounce it? Yes. So I'll put a little French twist on it. I'm sure it sounds something like that. Said, uh, says that uh, I can get it right. It's been a long time since I thought of it. Um, to the to the believers, as, I mean, I'm getting this right, but I'm paraphrasing it. To the believers, believers regard me uh, as a libertine, and libertines regard me as a you know fanatic, religious, you know, as a, as a puritan, basically, you know. Uh, the true tragedy is like, well, like the people of Sardis, really. These people here are self-deceived, and we often are self-deceived ourselves. 
we might be completely blind to the concept that there's any problem with us at all. But you know, in your heart, there is. We're fallen creatures. And if we... It's a funny thing. I mean, it's, it's all based on pride, and it's a funny thing. Pride is such a deceptive thing. Because once you... You might find yourself thinking, I'm doing pretty well in the pride department. I really... I've really tamped that down pretty well lately. Yeah, so then he realized, well, that's a prideful statement. How much more prideful is that be? So pride is so slippery. It's like trying to grab all the mercury. Only the Lord can deal with it in your life. You can't deal with pride in your life. So Satan will whisper in your ear, oh, you're doing pretty well. Oh, you're, you're doing so much better than you used to be doing. Yeah. yeah. Now, it's... The lesson there is, is Jesus Lord of all or is he Lord of those things that we surrender to him? I know thy works, but thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. I'm not going to leave you with a positive, upbeat, everything is great message. I'm going to leave you with that to think about Let's go to prayer.